We're the Pragmatic Doulas. This is a podcast where we talk all about birth and other interesting things. Birth may be a goddess, but she doesn't want to be worshipped. She wants to be respected. She doesn't want incense. She wants common sense. We are go. Hello. Hello. Hello, friends. Thank you for joining us on this snowy, snowy Thursday morning. Well, it's not snowing, but there's lots of snow all around. Yes. Aren't we supposed to get more today? <laughs> you are. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, I am. Mississauga and Oakville are going to get hammered with it. <laughs> you know when it's supposed to come? I got to pick kids up from college and shit. I don't know. Um, And there are, if we have friends in Texas, you guys are having weird yes horrible snow situations it's i have relatives true. in houston who are going through rotating lots and lots of relatives in houston and they're and they're having rotating water and and electricity outages power my my uncle's niece is in texas i don't know what part of texas but um she just said she had she just got the power back on after being out for 55 hours and i'm like 55 hours <laughs> i was out for six days with that bloody ice storm a couple years ago 55 yeah. hours would have felt like a treat somebody asked what is worse being without power or being without water what do you think water water uh 100 yeah water is yeah. life yeah, you can deal with no electricity. I mean, blankets, mm-hmm. candles, socks, yep, body heat. Again, six bed. days, six days without hydro in this yeah, house, and we did we did wild. pretty well. I went to my mom's, I think two nights, but it became too much having three young kids and a dog. Yeah, um, so. And that was the year Paul left. Yes, I remember that. And that wow. that fucker went and went went and lived with his girlfriend while we were at home freezing our asses off. So that that must have felt like Armageddon year. Yeah. But <laughs> yes. I, I it to me it felt like like eventually when my parents um, stuff came on, uh, they were able to get some help to get their generator loaded mm-hmm. up into my backyard so I had to go and this was like this was like pull the crank pull the crank to try and get it fill it up with gas and all of that stuff and you had it only had like a four-hour life cycle so it was like in the middle of the we didn't run it necessarily during the day but at in the middle of the night I would have to get up in the middle of the night and go outside and put gas in and then restart the thing all by myself and this was like seven years ago and it was like yeah you know what I fucking did that like I did that I am I am powerful I am strong I can do that yeah and it it was like you know what no I can do this Mm -hmm. I can do this so I think it was I think it was a good thing yeah as bad as it was yeah sometimes challenges at the end when you look back you realize actually that that built something inside of me that I I don't want to let go of yeah I have been I have led a charmed life 
I have been through the only major like blackout was the 2003 blackout. And that was in the middle of like summer. So all we did was gripe about no AC. Um, and it, we were only without power for like less than a day, 12 hours. Well, we, we pissed off to the cottage. Like we put everything in, we put everything into the car and then we went to the cottage because they still had power up there. How wild is that? Yeah. And we stayed there for a couple of days. So we didn't have any, we didn't, we just didn't suffer. And the ice storm never lost power, not for a second during the ice storm. There was one big blackout, but it was just like in my area. And it was, a, it that lasted for about a day and it was winter. And I'll, I'll never forget that my husband called his mom and asked if we could go over there she lives quote, quote, like at warden in like west scarborough and uh and they over there still had power because this was just like a neighborhood thing i i suppose and the woman said no seriously yeah she said no so you know what we went home we had a wood fireplace a huge wood fireplace we had a great time it's actually one of my good memories i have with with john we got all the sleeping bags out we bought marshmallows and we um sat around like made a big roaring fire in the fireplace and had like a camp out in the back room and it was great and i know that he did that to compensate for because he, everybody knew that she said no right because we never would have imagined that she would have said no never yeah. Imagine she would. So he said, oh, I'm going to ask grandma if we can go over there. Yeah. Her and the kids were like mixed about it. Okay. And then when can you imagine as a kid, your grandma says, no, you can't come over during a blackout in the, in winter, in winter, it was winter. And you know, eventually your furnace, you just can't, there's no heat anymore. Um, and so we just like made the best of it. And I, I'm pretty sure that he like overcompensated because she's a horrible individual. Yes. And, and that's what, and that's what we did. Yeah. So that's a one, one blackout memory I have. I remember the 2003 blackout in the days following the big continental blackout, the gas lineups. Yeah. Oh yeah. Jesus Lord. Yeah. And so I remember, because it was summer, I remember being in the van. We had like an eight seat safari van. Oh, damn. <laughs> and I'm driving this giant, and these safaris are like way up high off the ground. And we were lined up to get gas. And um, the lineup was so long, and the kids were so freaking miserable. Oh, no. <laughs> And I remember just turning the music up on the radio so loud until that like made them start singing and dancing and having like a loud dance party in the middle of the, like the vet was like shaking like this because everybody was dancing. Um, that's also a good blackout memory. It started out miserable, but that's what I had to do because I was going to freaking kill them if they didn't <laughs> shut up. <laughs> All right. Let me do this land acknowledgement. So Let's do it on to other things we do a land acknowledgement as a small act of reconciliation we acknowledge that this does not take the place of action but um it is a way to keep our eyes on the injustices that still are happening with the indigenous peoples of canada so we all live within the 
confines of the city of Toronto. Actually, Stephanie lives just a little bit outside of that, but it's okay. We, we let her in anyway. Um, and so we acknowledge that we are recording this podcast on the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabek, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat people. And uh, this land is now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit, and Métis people. The City of Toronto also acknowledges that this land is covered by Treaty 13, which was signed with the Mississaugas of the Credit and the Williams Treaties, and also signed with multiple Mississaugas and Chippewa bands. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. <sighs> um, oh, what else is going on with you guys? What you been doing the last week? Shoveling. <laughs> That's true. I woke up and my neighbor had shoveled my little walkway and my sidewalk, my section of the sidewalk. So I was pretty nice with that because we have a we have a strained relationship. <laughs> my neighbor is that the whole poop thing that was going on? That was one of the problems we had. That was also oh. the anger. That guy who came to my door and just was like, yeah, aggressive don't come to my door as a man and start acting aggressive like that because done with that shit (laughs) because I'll get really upset and yeah anyways it's they they it's a little bit of redemption they shuffled for me okay can I share something with you Suzanne you do this thing when someone has upset you a little bit with your face and this is not an insult at all it is endearing to me my grandmother used to do it when one of the kids or my grandfather or someone would step out of line a little bit. She'd close her eyes and nod a little bit while she's breathing in, thinking about that thing that just happened. It's like, and she's like, she was just taking a moment with Jesus to gauge what's coming back out of her mouth. And you do the okay, same thing. You close I, your eyes for a second. I'm not commiserating with Jesus when I do that. <laughs> <laughs> but it was just, you just call on all the forces to help me to not go back over there and remind him of that day. <laughs> I was going right. to say, you're just closing your eyes and mentally calculating the jail sentence that might go. Yes, that's exactly <laughs> it. Please tell me, universe, is this worth going over there to kick his ass? <laughs> Even though I can't kick his ass. He's like this really fit, like, young guy. Like, very, very, and he's probably like 10 times stronger than me. But no, I, I went over there and I told him, don't you ever fucking do that again to any woman. Yeah. So that was our, that's our thing. And so it's been, it's tense, but we've slowly, slowly been making our way back to each other. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <sighs> I conversation with my cousin in England for an hour and a half this morning. That's very nice. It was lovely. Yeah. We had a video call. Oh, I love WhatsApp so much. It was a perfect call. The video was clear. There were no hitches. Audio was clear. It was great. So we just kept on talking until I had to sign on here. It's fantastic. Yeah, I use it for client, postpartum client meetings. What's up? Yeah. I use it for clients in general. I immediately ask them, hey, let's do a WhatsApp group. People, if they have WhatsApp, always say yes. It's a great way to communicate immediately with client and partner, to the three of you together. And also to do quick video calls if you need to check out a nipple or <laughs> some poop in a diaper. <laughs> yep. Yeah. 
And now that I'm doing all virtual, it's very, very helpful. You, you know, to know that you have that, um, that access. I had a conversation with my postpartum clients yesterday. They're not postpartum clients, they're birth clients, but they've had their baby. So they are postpartum. And I said, I'm just going to like, keep making dinner here. You guys. Okay. While we're chatting and they're like, yes, good. Great. We love that. So I love the, the inherent, uh, convenience and, um, familiarity. Like it just make everything's that's okay. Go ahead. Eat dinner while we're talking. Yep. It's not all formal and, you know, official. No, like when I do, when I do the postpartum ones, especially like I don't sit here in my sort of like workplace. Yeah. I usually sit over on my couch with the cats behind me in the window and the cats are like walking back and forth and stuff. It's like, and they're like, Oh, we have a cat. What's that cat's name? It's like, yeah, no, it's all good. Who just barked? No. That is one of my dogs running downstairs because I think Megan just got home. I was going to say, that was, was that Jack? I don't think it, does, does Jack bark? Have I heard Jack bark before? No, that's Weezer and her giant nipples. There's Jack. Jack's barely alive at this point. He's unconscious. Mm-hmm. He's, our, he's our old man. He doesn't bark, actually. People come to the door, he never barks. he's like kim will take care of it we're fine yeah i don't know (laughs) i don't know if he's ever barked wow dog barked bruin barked a lot when Mm. people came to the door but jack just like stands there and and goes looks at you and is like there's somebody at the door are you (laughs) gonna answer it you want to get that like and i used to when i was home with the kids when they were smaller like I like having a dog. I like having a big dog as well because I like people to know that I have a big dog and you want to stay the fuck out of my house. Uh-huh. So, but when Jack came, it was like, people would be like knocking on the door, like the Jehovah's or whatever. I'm like, I'm not answering that. And, uh, and he would like just sit there, <laughs> tail wagging. Okay, is anybody can answer let's the door? I'm like, let nice people in. And I'm whispering behind the door going, bark, bark. Growl a little bit. No, nothing. I've barked a couple of times just to <laughs> see. Scare people off, yeah. Yeah, no, it doesn't work. You could just have a recording of, a, of like a big growly mean bark. Hey. You press it. Whenever the doorbell rings, you just press that button. That's <laughs> or when you good. Or when you press the doorbell, that's the response. That's you press the, the doorbell. It rings the, once and then a bark happens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I Love like it. that. It's something just that, something that sounds 200 pounds. Yes. Like a Rottweiler with one of those big giant heads. Yeah. One of those dogs. It just occurred to me, you just said that you like to have a big dog helps you feel more secure in your house. Yep. That says a lot about you. I don't want a big dog. I don't want a big dog. I want a small dog specifically because I want to be able to control her. That says a lot about me. <laughs> what does it say about Stephanie who needs to have three, three stocky bulldogs who are bleeding and breeding all over the place? <laughs> well, a two are bleeding and breeding. What is... Mine is also bleeding and breeding too, but she's little and I can I feel like I can control her smallness. But yeah, 
You like the unusualness of it, Steph? I don't know. What is it? Yes, yeah, I like motivation? the unexpected. I like full-grown bulldogs. They're not cute. They're, they're, they're adorable. Handsome. Yeah, handsome and adorable. Not a question, but they're not cute, cute, cute little puppies. Like you know, oh, they no, were not anymore. not anymore. Right, and they've got giant nipples. <laughs> sometimes you need to like rig up your underwear to control the stuff. Yep. I was wow. so excited to do that this year to finally figure that one out because usually I use suspenders on the doggy diaper. Now I just use, they have no tail, right? It's little tiny. So they can wear regular underwear and then I just put it in a knot, like a top knot on the back and uh, tighten it up. And she just wears a pair of underwear with a pad in it, like the rest of us. I put a panty liner inside a onesie on Ziggy. Yeah. Days ago. And that worked really well, but I have to cut a space in the onesie for her, her, her tail. Cause she does have this big tail. Um, and it didn't, it, it, I've taken, I haven't put it back on because she's so very efficient at, you know, taking care of it. The only reason why there was anything on the panty liner is because it was there and she couldn't get at it. She couldn't get at herself. So, and bulldogs can't get at themselves at all because their bodies aren't built like that. They can't uh -huh. clean themselves right yeah they drag their business in the snow to to clean it off so that's what i saw that's what that's how i knew that ziggy was bleeding because the snow the snow yeah i, I freaked out and grabbed her and ran back in the house <laughs> oh my yeah. god what's wrong with you and then it looks like she has blood in her urine which which is not the same thing as you know, like when you have your period and you go pee, it, it's, you know that you don't have blood in your urine. Um, but if you don't know that it is like a menstrual cycle, you would think, oh my God, she has blood in her urine. Cause now her pee is like orangey colored cause of the, the blood that's there. Yeah. Oh my God. Did you guys know you were in for this this morning? <laughs> look, I didn't even know I was in for this this morning. I look at the two of you and go, the fuck did you two get yourselves into? There's no goddamn way on this planet I would ever put myself into a situation where I had to deal with a menstruating dog. I'm, I shake my head at you two constantly. <laughs> I shake my head at myself because I'm just horrified. She's my little tiny baby and she's turning into a woman and I'm horrified by that. I, I texted the breeder and I said, this dog is too cute for sex. So I don't know how we're going to do this. <laughs> I don't want, I don't want your dirty boy dog going near her. <laughs> I don't know how we're going to do this. Oh my gosh. Well, we are having the same problem here because so Weezer is a smaller stature statue um, stature than both Winston and Gertie. Winston and Gertie are full-size bulldogs. Yeah. Weezer is like, is just, she's more petite than they are. Even though she's like fully bred English bulldog, she just has a smaller stature. Um, and yeah, so her, she already looks like a baby yeah. more so than the other two. And Roger treats her like a baby more so than the other two. So even when she went to get bred, Roger was against it, concerned and now that he's she's home, he's trying to manifest her having only two puppies. He's like, two puppies, two puppies. I'm like, she's probably having 
I, I say six based on the size of her and her nipples. She's due in three weeks. March 11th is her due date. We're going back up on the 7th to the breeder. Um, I say six, he says two. The kids say three and four, but they usually have five. And, but Gertrude, of course, blew everyone away and had fucking 10, mm. right? Which is an, an absolute anomaly. But Weezer was born of Gertrude. So mm. I'm not thinking two puppies. He just wants that to be it because it want, he wants it to be easy for her. And he yeah. wants her to have an easy time nursing only two babies and to be able to come home sooner and all of those things. That's what I'm worried about. When Ziggy is ready to go into labor, I have already said to them, I'm not leaving her. If you think that like, I'm going to just drop her off and I'm staying there until those babies are till she's had something to eat and they've latched well, <laughs> then I will leave and I will be, I will be calling every day and I expect videos and texting and I'm coming every week to see them. Even though they're an hour away, I'm driving an hour once a week to go visit her. I just can't imagine just dropping her off and leaving her for the eight weeks of nursing. No. Yep. Yes. And I want to know what kind of special food they're going to bring her. Or otherwise, I'll do it myself. I'll cook and bring food for her myself if they're not going to do it. Because poor, poor little thing. Oh, my God. I can't even. Jesus, Jesus Christ. So, I mean, this, this is a doula podcast. And I think we might have a topic. But I don't know. Yeah. What are we talking about today? Mm-hmm. Our doula evolution, which is, which is currently started as supporting parents and their babies to now supporting dogs and their puppies. I am a full spectrum doula work, <laughs> interspecies doula. That's it. You're an interspecies doula. Interspecies doula. That's me. I'm going to get a t shirt that says that. And also, somebody said to me, That's it. You're out of the Jamaican club because Jamaican people don't have dogs. And not only do they not have dogs as pets, they do not like be insane and cook food for your dog and spend all kinds of money at the vet on your dog and, and buy like expensive dog food on your dog. And I'm doing all of that. So I'm slowly eroding my Jamaican membership card, but I don't care. Ziggy's worth it. Right, Ziggy? The very fact that your name's Ziggy. Oh my God. There you go. <laughs> I'm sorry, Jack. I treat you like a dog. I you got, you know, you didn't get lucky getting, you know, parents that actually treat I mean, you're you fucking like alive. something other than a dog. <laughs> you're lucky I let you on that goddamn couch right now. Mm-hmm. I'm blessed that Ziggy doesn't want, I remember I was like, I'm not letting a dog sleep in my bed. Are you crazy? That's gross. <laughs> I am so disappointed this dog will not sleep happily in my bed. My dog never slept in my bed. He always slept on the floor. Well, now he stands there. He will, he won't sleep on the floor now because he's old. He'll sleep on the couch. He'll sleep in my bed. But if I don't let, he has to be invited. He needs his hand engraved invitation. So he'll sit there and he'll stare at you mm-hmm. and stare. You know what stare, I want? Don't make stare. me say it. Like the fucking couch is right there. I'm in the middle of Stardew Valley. Can you just fucking jump up on that couch without me? You know, now the only good thing is, is that when the cats are on the bed, he won't jump up until I move them Mm. because he's already broken one cat 
and killed it. So he knows. Yeah, he knows that he he was a puppy. But what do you have to do to invite him? Do you have to say I have to move the cat? No, no, come on up. You have pat, to pat, pat. Come, come on, on up. up. Yeah, yeah. Pat. Yeah. And then I eventually it's like, for fuck's sake, will you just get up on the goddamn bed? he must take up so much space he does but i'm a single mo- i'm a single woman in a double bed or a queen size bed so he has his spot over on the one side down at the corner and i have my side and then the cat is over on the other corner at the foot and i'm not very tall so ziggy will not cuddle she will not cuddle. Oh, they don't cuddle either minutes. they'll and be there I've seen lots of pictures of your dogs cuddling on you, like actually draping themselves over your body, Stephanie. And, and, and I'm like, oh, I wish. But nope, I want Ziggy to be like right snuggled up next to me, right beside my pillow. She won't have it. When we had when we had Bruin, when he was a puppy, we both worked and my dad would come and walk him every day. So at lunchtime, he would come down and he would let him jump up on the couch and snuggle into his lap. Well, every time my dad came back, Bruin, who weighed like 150 pounds, would try and jump up on my dad's lap. And it was like, for God's sake, Bruin, you can't do that. And Bruin was, actually, Bruin could have been close to 170. He was was a big dog Mm -hmm. and heavy. But yeah, every time you saw my dad, he wanted to snuggle up onto his lap because that's what he did with Frank. So this episode is entitled Doggy Doulas. Doggy Doulas. <laughs> so I'm out. I'll see you guys later. <laughs> or doula doggies. What? A, what? Yeah. Dogs of doulas. Dogs of doulas. Yeah. Dogs of the doula world. Anyways, yeah. Um, Real dogs of the doula world. <laughs> Real dogs of the doula world. Yeah. Mm. It's quite the evolution. You know what I'm drinking? I'm not drinking tea. What are you drinking? I was drinking soup. Cup of soup. Cup of soup. Mm-hmm. God, I haven't had that in like forever. It. And I'm feeling a little, yeah, me, me, me neither. Me too. Yeah, one of those. I also have not had cup of soup forever. I'm feeling the need for salt. Ah. And um, and it's easy to make in my I I had it here as a part of my little tea making thing here in my room. And I said, you know what? I feel like I want some cup of soup because I'm, I'm feeling headachey and weird because I've been eating really well the last few days and I think I'm low in sodium. This will fix it. <laughs> <laughs> That's what my podcast is about next week. I talked about what? pregnancy cravings. Oh, pregnancy cravings. Yep. Well, what was yours? What, did, what were your cravings, guys? Mine, mine was beef with Will. I needed red meat because I was, I was iron deficient and, and B12 deficient. Noodles. Um, I was also severely iron deficient in all of my pregnancies, but that manifested as this incredible craving for ice. Yeah. Lord have mercy. I would kill people for ice. And then immediately, as soon as that baby was born, that craving went away. But they're also in my second pregnancy, I had this outrageous craving for ham and grape soda, like together in a meal, like a salty ham. Salt. Yeah. So it might have been the salt. And then the fizzy sweetness of grape soda. Yeah. 
One so, does our, so does our salty too, though. So does have a lot of potassium. Fizzy, yeah. One night, one summer night on my way home from work, I stopped at Becker's and bought a pack of ham and a great Becker's. Soap. Oh Becker's. my God. There was a Becker's about three blocks from my house. And I went into Becker's and bought a pack of ham, like a pack of sandwich ham oh, and a can of grape soda. And I stood outside the Becker's and I opened it up and I ate the whole pack of ham and drank the grape soda on my three block walk into my house that summer night. Well, you must have looked like a lunatic. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I know I did it very delicately. <laughs> and yeah, I didn't do that. I rolled up one slice and I ate it and drank some grape soda as I like walked along very casually. Um, I also had a huge craving for Minute Maid Lime. You know, that Minute Maid Limeade uh-huh. broken. Oh my God, could I, I could not get enough of that shit. And then lastly, bread, fresh, fresh baked bread and water with ice. That's that was a prison, prison cravings, bread and water. But it had to be like bakery bread, squishy and soft. Mm, yeah. Yep. Those what about it. you, Steph? Five pregnancies. Um, for the first one, I craved roast beef subs once I got over my morning sickness. Um, it had to be very hot. It had to have a lot of mustard and it had to be fresh bread. And that's all I could eat. My, you know, I would try to make chicken. I would try to do other things. And as soon as I would even get near it, it would start, I'd get gaggy. So I pretty much survived. And it was specifically for those who are from Scarborough, there was a little place called Queen's Sub on Danforth, right down at the bottom of it where it meets Eglinton. And it was a little little mom and pop shop that was owned by a Greek family who were lovely. And they made it exactly the way I needed it. I used to try going to the one, um, the Mr. Sub on Lawrence, right at Haleybury, I think it is. Haleybury and Lawrence there, just down the street from Thompson. And they, they did it wrong. Their, their roast beef was the wrong texture. It was all about the texture and that, and ice, like ice, 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 ice. That was all four pregnancies though. Um, yeah. Xander, it was ice cream. I needed uh, Oreo ice cream. Abigail, it was, I couldn't, I needed beef, but I could not have pizza. If a commercial came on, even just a commercial for pizza, I would start dry heaving. Like a radio commercial, the TV commercial, anything. And I could not have anything with a bone in it. I wanted beef, but there best not be a bone anywhere near it could not even look at a piece of chicken. Um, just absolutely vomiting everywhere. Um, and Megan, it was Doritos. And just, I ate Doritos as soon as I stopped vomiting. Again, around the fifth month, Doritos. I had it with everything. I had it for snacks. I had it with my dinner. Zesty cheese Doritos. There you go. Yep. I did not hold back either. Well, I delve into cravings and the science behind it and whatnot so have a listen pika pika is that what you're talking about pika no no because pika is different pika is eating things that are inedible not food yeah not but a lot of that happens in pregnancy it does but we uh, and and there again there's science behind it but i don't delve into pika it's it's only i had an ant only a 15 minute segment i had an (laughs) ant 
who lived um, beside a quarry where the oh fuck what's what kind of stone is it? it's a chalk what does chalk come from lime limestone yeah so she, she lived beside a, a limestone quarry in, in jamaica so she would get um i think it was her boyfriend or somebody would bring her like a chunk of it and she would she would like knock off a piece like with a hammer and smush and smush it into like a powder and then lick it like little bits of it put like a little bit of it on her tongue and eat that because she, and she could not she would kill somebody and i know that feeling that feeling where if i don't get some of that i'm gonna get get go out of my mind and that's what she would eat chalk yeah basically i know somebody and uh another a friend of mine um desperately wanted to eat the soil from her house plants iron because there's iron in it like, absolutely wanted to just take some out and i remember once you can tell me what this is kim if you can figure it out what i um wanted to like i opened the washing machine and the and the soap hot, hot water and the towels were moving around in the hot water and i knew the smell of the soap and i wanted to pull one of the towels out and just arr, tear it apart I can't remember what soap is. There is something, I can't remember what the element is that you're lacking mm. that requires you to eat I was soap. really lacking because I would get that feeling also with um, uh, cornstarch. If you, at one time, I, the kids and I, we were doing a craft and I had a big thing of cornstarch and I put my hand in there and you know that squeaky feel? Yeah. Oh my God, I wanted to eat the whole thing. I wanted to just like crunch that cornstarch. And yes, it was when I was pregnant. That feeling, it's just like the towels. I wanted to, that feeling on my teeth to just like tear it up. Crazy, oh, yeah. It was, and it was so intense. That feeling is so intense that it would scare me. I'm yep. like, this is how people feel about like heroin and cocaine. Yep. All my sympathy goes to people with addictions because if I didn't get ice, I, I once raged at the whole house because somebody ate my gas station ice. <laughs> Yeah. So you're guess that ice is only here for me. So you, you did that too. Drink. Yep. The ice, the big bag of ice. Oh my God. Because yes. my, when I was married to Alex, we didn't have like, we, all we have is like the little tiny thing, the little apartment size fridge and everything like that. But this little tiny ice section. And I, I could go through that in like a sitting, you know? And so eventually I just convinced him to buy me bags of ice. And I came home one day and he and his friend Dirk was over and they had made drinks. They'd made like uh, daiquiris and shit like this. And it was a hot day after baseball and shit. And I was like, the fuck is my ice? Yeah. And, and you know, mm -hmm. Dirk came inside and he's like, she's raging. And I uh, went back outside and he just left. And I thought he had, I thought I'd driven him away, but he went to the store and got me more ice and came back. <laughs> I remember asking John to get me a bag of ice from the gas station, from the big ice machine thingy. And then you bring it home and um, you have to like bang it on the corner of the, the wall to break it up some more. Some of those things are all frozen together. And yeah. if, I could, if I could invest in one of the ice machines that they have in the hospital. Yes. Oh, oh my God. That's the best that, that, that and the blanket warmer. Oh yeah, I want one of those too. So uh -huh. Basically, it's kind of like a dryer, but 
You could do oh, that. I want one so bad. But I want one like in my room. Yes. That's <laughs> I want where it is. No, no. I want it. I want it up here. Want it right here, accessible to yep. me easily. Yeah. So when you take it out of the dryer, like after you wash stuff, you just fold it and stick it in your in the warmer in your room. So when you go to bed at night or whatever, you just snatch it out. You don't have to go downstairs and wait for it to be in the dryer and shit. Right? Yep. Remember in the what? Well, remember? I was gonna say. Remember the old days? <laughs> None of us were alive. So last week. <laughs> So last week remember in the old days when we were pioneers remember those days and they would have sure. like those things of those those bedpan warmers and they put them in the fire and then they put them inside so rich people your servants would do this for you so your yep. bed was all warm yep. i started thinking about that because my fucking bedroom is the worst it's so drafty and cold in the winter because the this whole wall that faces out and the windows are shit and if it's windy outside it doesn't even have to be that cold out it's freezing in here so I did, I did something when I was thinking, I cannot get into that cold bed. I was going to cry if I had to get into my cold bed. I got the blow dryer. I took my blow dryer and plugged it in and turned it on hot and put it under my bed and just moved it around across my bed for just a few minutes. Oh my God. Toasty, toasty, toasty. So there's a life hack for you. Don't say I didn't give you anything. <laughs> so my mom who I've talked about before, she's not an affectionate person, like not in the way that, not in a physical way. And I'm a, very, I'm a very physically affectionate person, as you guys might've noticed. But um, my mom is not that way. But at one my point- My mom would say, there's a lot of Kelt in you. <laughs> so we had a contraband washer dryer in our apartment building, in our, our storage closet. Um, we used to roll it out to the kitchen and plug it in and stuff and, uh, and then roll it back. That? Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so we had, at one point, we got this little dryer as well um, in that closet. And when we had that for a short period of time, my mom would put, uh, when I was going in for a bath, if I wasn't feeling well, she would put dryer towels in the dryer when I went into the bath and then she would just kind of knock and, and hand it into me. And she never said anything. It was just, but it was her way of caring. And I tell you much like you getting into your bed, that's nice and warm. It it's one, it's like my mom saying, I love you, but being like, you know, yeah. it's a warm towel, you know, let's not talk about it. <laughs> Make a big deal about it. It's just a warm towel. It's just warm towel. It's like my dad bringing, putting a tray of tea and toast and, and maxi pads and like 50 different types of Midol painkillers in front of my door when I had my period because he was scared to say anything. So he would just like bring his offering to my bedroom door and knock. Um, but he didn't want to talk about it. He didn't want to hear about it. He, didn't, he just wanted to make it better. So tea and toast with butter and honey and uh, lots of medications, whatever he could find. <laughs> A warm towel was a beautiful thing though. It yep. really to come out of no heated floors in the bathroom, that's a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. yeah. I have a friend who they've custom built their house. And uh in their bathroom, they have those lights, those big red lights, and they turn it on. So when you come out of the shower, you are enveloped in warmth. Warmth on your feet warmth from above and i'm like oh my god you could just like stand here and just rotate yourself like you're on a spit until you're until you're dry and then come out that's what i would do oh why did she just disappear oh sorry i just got a someone tried to zoom me um 
at uh, so in this house that we're in right now, we have the ambient flooring, the the warm flooring in our in our bathroom. Mm. But I was really surprised to find out that when they put the the bathroom in the basement in the basement apartment that they built, that there is like you there's a separate fan. So there's a fan in the wall, and you just hit it when you go into the shower. Like there's the fan that pulls the moisture out. Yeah. And but then there's a warming fan that warms the whole bathroom while you're in the shower or the bathroom. And it's hot as hell. Oh. I left it on once and I walked into the bathroom uh, downstairs. I was like, what the hell is going on? It's just because I left it on. It's hot as hell. Yeah. But it's well, all you dry. Shower, it's probably delicious. Yeah, for sure. Well, how many times too have you, you know, been at a if you're, you know, at the hospital and your client wants to get out of the tub or out of the shower and you go out to the um, the, the to get the, a warm blanket and you wrap them in that warm blanket when they come out of the bath or the shower and they're just look at you like you are my favorite person ever uh-huh yes it is that is a treat it is a body treat that we should all have every day in our lives <laughs> so there is a doula idea here we're, we're, we are back to being a doula when your client is getting out of the tub or the shower at the hospital before they're getting out, run out and grab one of those blankets from the warmer and throw that around them instead of the measly little harsh towels that they have there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They look uh, like face cloths. If I was rich, I would be like Oprah, Oprah. And as soon as Oprah said this, I glommed onto that idea and I've never left it. And, I, and I'm like, I think this is true about me. Oprah only uses white towels, thick white mm -hmm. fluffy towels. And I said to myself, that's what I want. I don't like sheets that are like dark, deep burgundy or navy blue or whatever. I only like sheets that are pale, pastel or white. And I like white fluffy towels that are warmed. And I, if I was really, really rich, that's what I would do. I would have only those kind of towels and they'd be kept in a linen closet in the bathroom that always kept them warm. So when I came out, I would wrap myself, I'd do that for myself. That would be my stupid rich lady indulgence. Actually, I have lots, but that <laughs> that would be the first one you would implement. I have lots and lots of stupid rich lady indulgences. That's just one. That's one that I would absolutely do. I would have a personal chef also, by the way, if, if I was super rich. I would never cook another fucking meal again. <laughs> I don't take pleasure in cooking. And I like being able to meal plan that way when I could tell other people what I want for dinner in the morning and then let them do the running around and the preparing and have what I want every day, every single day. I would just have what I want. Yeah. So I think that's totally reasonable. I think so too. I'm not gonna buy like diamond studded bras or stupid things like that. Everything that I want as a rich lady is totally practical, totally practical. Yes, things have to be comfortable. You know, when I was looking for a wedding gown, um, when I was marrying Roger, so many gowns people were passing me were so fucking uncomfortable. I'm like, well, someone wants to spend their day in this shit. Like it, it looks pretty, but I'm like, I don't even want to touch it. I'm going to cut myself. Like th there's so much bullshit ornate stuff. And I was like, I got to dance in this. What the hell, what the hell do people do in these things? My pounds. <laughs> yeah. Like eventually I settled on something that had some beading, but it was beads, you know, I'm like, those are smooth. They're not going to hurt me and I can move. It was beading. It was just some beads. It was just some beads. Just a little bit of beading on it. 
but I was, I was amazed at some of these. I'm like, this shit hurts. Why do people do things that hurt them? I, when my sister was getting her shopping for her wedding gown and um, when she was trying stuff on, she definitely wanted a two-piece wedding gown because she was nursing uh, 11 month old at the time. So she needed something that she could nurse in during her wedding day. The the people who were helping her at the store, remember that Chris, what's that? Chris and Tina's at Parkway Mall. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's where everybody goes there. And so my sister was like, she tried this one thing on and she was, she was trying to pull. And the lady was like, why are you doing that? And she goes, I need to see if it can pull down. And she goes, why are you, do you what do you, why do you need to do that? They didn't understand that she was nursing. And of course she couldn't find, because all of those wedding gowns are structured. So she did find a two piece wedding gown and we ended up having to just like take it off before the ceremony on hooker. It had to be able to hook and unhook easily so she could take it off and nurse the baby and then we'll strap it back on and go yep. back outside. Practicality, pragmatism and comfort. Absolutely. Beauty is there too. Yeah, it needs to be pretty and beautiful, but those things are not negotiable. Yeah. I completely agree. I actually I had you, when I was shopping for a wedding gown, you know, when I was marrying Roger, as opposed to when you were marrying all those other men. <laughs> when I was marrying Alex, I didn't even think about it. I saw one, I didn't even try it on, and I bought it. I was like, <laughs> that looks nice. It's about my size. I'll get that. Mm -hmm. Much to my mother's displeasure. Mm -hmm. <laughs> she, my mom wanted the whole experience. And I'm like, I don't want the experience. I just want to get out of here. These people want to see me naked. They keep sho shoving shit at me. Oh, I'll just take that one. <laughs> yes, oh, man. You, were, you were practical even back then. <laughs> well, I, I had, at the time, I had um, Kira and Xander was a baby. I'm like, what the fuck? I was like, <laughs> no. Mm -hmm. stop that <laughs> oh boy here we are off topic again and yeah, I'm not we're like almost an hour in we haven't even touched on the okay, quickly topic. quickly say something about the official topic what is it again doula evolution doula evolution well we don't even need to touch touch on it maybe we're this is just a hangout we just all needed a little hanging out with our fellow doulas today maybe we can do the evolution of the doula another day <laughs> Right. Do you come here for structure? If you, dear listener, come here for structure, you're, what are you doing here? Ask yourself that question. There's wrong. Not, go to birth and parenting things for structure. Yeah. You know, why do you think I started it? That's not this. <laughs> that is not this. I so. actually wanted to teach people something. <laughs> yeah. I think we teach people a lot. Well, we're a mixture. We're a blend of entertainment. It's true. With a little bit of education sprinkled in every once in a while, because we do talk some deep shit sometimes, but sometimes it's not so deep. What are you reading, Stephanie? Um, I have a client who is uh, distressed. <laughs> oh, yeah. he texted me to tell me that she sent me an email. And if I can please get back to her quickly. She's a single parent by choice. Okay. And there's some great distress happening right now. I joined a single parent by choice group years and years ago. I'm talking years and years ago, like 25 years ago. And I was so out of my depth. 
first of all, I wasn't a single parent by choice. Technically, when you get pregnant at 16, that is not being a single parent by choice. <laughs> <laughs> and I did uh, choose to have, like I did get pregnant with Christopher on purpose. Uh, still, I if I had the option to not be single, I wouldn't have chosen that. So it's not the same thing. All of these women were in their 30s and 40s. I was like 23. They all were professional corporate women who own their own homes. I lived with my parents. Um, so I, I, I love the idea of women choosing to have their babies on their own. That, that really made me think, oh my God, that's so badass. And I loved being around, around them, but it was not my, it wasn't, wasn't my club, but I stayed anyways. Cause I like clubs. I think maybe that's, that's something that I can share with this client. Cause, uh, I, I think it's probably a combination of assuming that um, when this pregnancy happened and it was very welcome, but it's been quite distressful doing it during COVID when you don't have access to groups that would be supportive or even family who could be supportive because they work in areas that wouldn't be safe for you. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's definitely created a lot of, a lot of distress, but and I think a lot of people assumed that it would be over by now that things okay. would have loosened up, uh, been safer for you to have your baby. And uh, yeah, so it's been, it's been quite a ride for this person. Mm -hmm. Yep, I hear you, I hear you, I hear you. I still, I can't imagine having a baby um, during this time and also by yourself. Yeah, zero access to family right now. Yeah. Yeah, that's really, that's, that's really rough. I, I, because even though I was single, I always had access to family. Uh -huh. So much, too much access to family. <laughs> a little, little space, leave me alone. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, so are we going to just quickly touch on doula evolution? Let's, you can use it. If we diverged into other areas, okay. <laughs> that's okay. But um, I think the question was, in what ways have you evolved as a doula? When you look at yourself in year one and now at yourself in year 16, 17, 18, 20, whatever it is, what's different? Not just about your life, but about your birth philosophy, the way you practice, et cetera. What's different? Uh, I think for me, I wouldn't necessarily, so sometimes you think of evolution as, as kind of being a progression into something, being one way and then progressing into something different. I think for me, it's been sort of a, there's been a lot of up changes, down changes, like as far as, as what I think and, and the philosophy itself. I mean, I think when I first became a doula, it was, you know, I want to be there and be the, the support person that I didn't necessarily have in my last birth. And that's nothing against my ex-husband. It was really the, the staff itself that I was not getting the support from. So I wanted to fix that. Um, and then as time went on, it was like, I, I kind of got into the I don't know, do I want to say this word brainwashed into the idea of just said it um, of, you know, birth has to be all natural, no interventions, nothing like that, blah, blah, blah. And then and that lasted not very long because I almost saw the inherent 
destruction that it would do to people who didn't it didn't achieve that and now it's sort of evolved into you know whatever you want <laughs> whatever you want to do i will support you what you want to stand on your head to birth let's figure out how that can work you know you want to have it fully medicated pitocin up the wazoo i you do you I'm here to support whatever you want. I'm here to give you information and you figure out what works best for you. So it's been, it's been an evolution from like starry eyed change to it has to be this way to yeah, whatever. So it's yeah. my new dual philosophy. Yeah, whatever. Yes. We just do it. We just do it. Yep. I, I hear that very loudly because I really think that that has also been my path from uh, kind of thinking that, did we talk about this in our doula training thing? Yes, last week. But it's that that is how I thought that my ideal birth was everybody's ideal birth. Like my idea of an ideal birth is everybody's idea of an ideal birth. And I have learned over the years and come to respect and adjust my practice to the realization that people are different from me. Whoa, <laughs> that not everybody wants to have a home water birth with a midwife and all of your family surrounding you chanting and clapping and cheering you on. What? Everybody doesn't want that. So little by little, I have realized that there are many different kinds of ideal births for people. And sometimes you don't get the ideal birth that you want. And some people are okay with that. And it's not my job to conjure up an ideal birth because that's also a thing that I've changed in my thinking. It's not my job to magic up the, the birth that they want. I will support them in doing whatever they need to do to get the birth that they want. But it's not my, but I used to also take responsibility for being the one to make that happen for them. And I don't anymore. And when it doesn't, you feel crushed by it. And I think a lot of doulas nowadays yes. feel like that a lot. Right. So because I don't take responsibility for births that are not my client's ideal, I also, because it goes hand in hand, can't take credit for when their birth does come out exactly the way they want it so i have divorced myself from those notions responsibility and credit it's not it's not my my job is to support full stop period that might look different in different ways different people but that is my job it's not to manipulate outcomes yep yep and that is a yeah. really big departure from what i used to think oh yeah for sure I mean, didn't you all, didn't you feel like, you know, if your client ended up with a, a cesarean birth or something, didn't you feel like, oh my God, what did I do? What did I do to facilitate this? Like, what could I have done differently? And it's yep. like, and, and it felt like, so, and that's one of the reasons why I stopped doing births at St. Mike's for so long, because I had like six in a row. Every time I walked into that hospital, somebody had a cesarean birth. It was mm -hmm. like, God, I don't know. Like, I can't figure out why this is happening. Yeah. 
the only the only common denominator is me so i have to take myself out of the out of the equation mm -hmm. when in reality it probably wasn't me at all mm -hmm. it was probably every single one could have been something different but i was so invested in the yeah. outcome yeah that it got to the point where it was soul crushing and i was like and i just passed clients off that was before i started working there and yeah. I pass them all the used stuff. I'm like, oh, well, here's another St. Mike's one. I'm not doing that, <laughs> you know, because, yeah. <laughs> and, and to be completely honest, when I started working there, I felt like I'd sold my soul. <laughs> yes. And it was like, God, oh, what yeah. am I doing? And for the first few months to maybe like a year or so, it was <laughs> like, oh, I don't know. Like, I don't know if I should be doing this. I don't know if I should be here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. You can't do that. Well, my, I think the biggest evolution that surprised me and it, it's in keeping with what you guys have shared. Um, I don't think I ever believed that everybody wanted a natural birth, although I definitely saw the benefit of it and never held back sharing with people that there are benefits to a not natural birth, but to just letting everything unfold. But my learning in sharing that was also seeing that people value, whether it's for their physical health or their mental health or emotional health, some people value not even participating in decision making. And that was probably the biggest part of it. Some people, I would want to not coerce or manipulate somebody with information. I would just want to give it to them. But I, what I started recognizing is there's some people who don't have space for it. And so I got into the habit a few years ago of asking, do you have space in your birth preparations to want to look through information, to want to understand things more deeply? Or is the space that you want for your birth planning going to be simply not deciding and letting things unfold that way? Do you want to do it with information or with listen, listening intuitively or by listening to your doctor or by saying, I'm going to do best with a planned cesarean, because I can put it in a time box, I can arrange support for myself. And the idea of labor is so overwhelming for me and waiting for it, it creates mental disorder in me. So it's it's not about necessarily even the information I'm giving somebody. Like if someone said, I wanna have a planned cesarean, they're not necessarily asking me for the pros and cons of one, mm -hmm. you know? There's but I can ask you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I already made ask. that decision. That's right. They might have just made that decision. I will always ask. I'm like, are you looking for information on planning a good planned cesarean? Are you doing this because you don't have information elsewhere that you would like? Like, it, I want to understand. Um, I want to understand as your support person, what makes that feel like the right decision for you? And if the only answer is I'm scared of labor, like, do you want some information on not being scared of that? Or is just planning for your cesarean really going to be your your happy place. Are we going to do that? So the evolution has been not trying to give people information to make better decisions. It's even understanding, do they want that? Does it benefit them? Um, because their mental health is as important as their physical health. Yep. And the just saying it in the current state we live, that, you know, having a planned cesarean birth, although we understand the risk to parent and the risk to baby is higher, physically for this particular person, it might be 
those risks are absolutely fine because it fulfills something else. It takes the ease off of something else. Um, and that's so a not risk that, analysis. That's risk right? analysis, right. Um, yeah, so it's not just my, my job to shut up and support, it's my job to listen. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because that might also change. Who knows what they want might change. But uh, sometimes it, the biggest learning was that not everybody wants to be an active participant. And there, it's yeah. funny, you see sometimes in Facebook, you know, newer doulas. I, why am I still on that goddamn app? Um, <laughs> people saying, you know, oh, well, she wants to, they, they want to do this, you know, and, and how do I tell them not to? It's like, you don't. You don't. That's... <laughs> but then you go through those comments and you will see 10 suggestions answering the question. Here's how you tell them not to give them this. Here's article. how you change their you mind. One person say, it's not your job. Just yeah. don't try to convince yeah. them to do anything. That's yeah. just that you go through 10. And then that one little voice will be sandwiched between 10 and then another 10. And then maybe somebody else. And then there'll be an argument and a fight. Yep. And then the moderator will cut off comments and that's how it goes. And that's just it. And it was like, but they need to know about this and this and this and this. And it's like, okay, but maybe they already know. And maybe they've already made that decision. Maybe they've done the risk analysis for themselves. And they've decided that given all of these risks, I am still choosing XYZ because for me, that feels right. And yeah. that's that's it that isn't that the empowered birth isn't that the empowered birth of a birthing person sitting there looking at everything that is available to them and saying I want to do x y and z and that's going to be the birth that's going to work for me and then going through that and then that happening and then coming out going yeah that's the birth that I wanted Mm -hmm. or going through that and then something happens and we can't have X, we have to have T and blah, blah, blah. Okay, then we ask questions and we go through that whole thing. The empowered birth is not somebody squatting in a field, you know, pushing out their baby without any pain medication or anybody around them. An empowered birth is somebody who's sitting there making decisions for themselves, making decisions for themselves as an adult human that is bringing another human into the world and being heard, answered, and supported in their decisions. That is that's the empowered the birth. Yeah, that's the difference. It's the so you said there and being heard. So if the client came to the doula and says, "I'm not being heard by my care provider. They're insisting I do this," then they're asking for that feedback. It's like, I'm not being heard. I have genuine concerns that my doctor's refusing to answer them. Okay, great. Let's find out what those um, answers are elsewhere. Since your physician specifically is not offering that to you. Cause we do see that, but if your client is not asking or saying that they're not being heard or saying that they have concerns about it, then I don't want to say it's not your place. Cause some, for some doulas, that's how they operate. And that's the relationship you're going to have with your clients. Um, it might not be what's best for your clients, but are you in that place of listening yet? We weren't always in the, in a good place. We're still evolving. I'm still evolving. At yeah, 100%. Yeah. You know, absolutely. And when that um, birth is over, like I used to, I used to sit there, you know, and go over the birth and go, oh yeah, that could have been done differently. And, uh, this is what happened and blah, blah, blah. No, now it's a matter of let's sit down and let's talk about what you experienced. Mm -hmm. Let's listen to what you have to say. 
And if they, even if you walk out of that birth going, fuck, that was what the fuck was all of that, you know, and you're now in therapy for a week. If they're sitting there going, God, that was so good. Everything was great. This, you were wonderful. Thank you so much. Look at how beautiful my baby is. This is amazing. If that's their mindset, who are you to change that? Yeah, 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 absolutely. I love what you said, Stephanie, about discerning by listening usually, whether people even want information because sharing of information is such a, like that is like a bedrock foundation doula thing. You offer information and you let them choose. What if they don't even fucking want information? Yep. yep. And ah. that absolutely does happen. Yep. I have had so many situations where, so this was never a conscious thing that I'm, oh, I'm going to find out if they want information, but it's happened where I've realized and it's bothered me. Now it's not going to bother me anymore. Where I've gone to like that first prenatal where you want to find out about people's birth intentions and what directions they want to face and so on. And I have that, that whole list prepared. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about monitoring. Let's talk about movement. Let's talk about whether you want to have, you know, water or this or that. And people, and I send that list in advance and I end up going to this first prenatal and all we talk about is their life, their relationship, their families, and, and I'll say, do you want to talk about anything? We looked at it and, you know, we're really open. We're all, and we talk about nothing on the list, even though I'm there ready and willing and able to talk about the list and they are absolutely fine. Just taking things. We'll just see. Well, I'm really open and we'll just see. I know they're very well educated and we'll just see what happens. And we don't need to make any big decisions about whether I'm going to have an epidural or not. I don't know. We'll see when I get there. We'll see. Fine. But before I used to say like, oh my God, I didn't do my job. I didn't like pin them down about this and this and this and this. How horrible must I have been to say, basically, we need to talk about how you feel about monitoring. How about if the people had no feelings, whatever, whatever the hospital says I got to do, I'm going to do it. Yeah. Now it's a whole new, I'm not, I'm not, that's fine. You don't want to talk about that stuff. I have had people who said straight up. We are not birth planning people. We trust our doctors. We just, we don't actually want to know anything more than what you taught us in class. We're good. Let's just move forward together. And so we eat dinner and we laugh and talk and build a relationship. And I go home. That's happened too. And unless the people said it straight to me though, I always would feel like I didn't do my job. Mm -hmm. Do you almost feel like it's, I'm probably way off base on this, but as you were talking, it was like, oh, this feels like the, the, you know, the granny midwife where, you know, they would just be there. Right. And they would just, you know, sitting knitting, knitting in the corner. Yeah. If yeah. you need me, I'm here. Yeah. If you want information, that's what I'm here. The clients yeah. I spoke to last night were like, you know, we want you to know that, you know, well, it seems like we haven't asked you any questions. Well, it seems like we haven't, you know, really been interacting. Um, we really feel like this has been really supportive. Um, and we really appreciate, you know, you answering the questions that we do have and, and that we find such great value in this. And I was like, and I was sitting there going, like, I don't even know why I'm here. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I almost feel like I shouldn't be charging them because I haven't done a goddamn thing. But 
when we do have conversations, when we did have the prenatals, it was full of information and asked, answering their questions and really not near as structured as, as it usually is. Um, but that's the value in, you know, having them come to me to say, hey, this is what I need. This is what's happening. Do you have information for that? But not going, okay, well, at this point, you should have you should be asking me these questions. So here's all this information, wrap your brain around that. And them going, wait a minute, I didn't even want to know anything about that, right? So maybe a, a really valuable question to ask clients right from the get-go is in some kind of way, not, not verbatim like this, but in some kind of way, what do you want from me? Yeah. What do you want from dual support? What are you looking for in us working together? because that answer will be different. And that can really kind of frame how you guys move, how you move forward together. Because if you ask people, what kind of support do you want? People will give you all kinds of answers because there are people who want you up there in their business every day, you know, giving you minute details about their OB visits and, and, and they're, you know, telling you exactly their weight and their whatever, whatever, whatever. Yeah. And then there are other people who are like, we just want you there just to be with us as another person, another pair of eyes, another, you know, we don't really want big details. Like, and then you proceed from there according to yeah. what the people, what people need and knowing that your presence in the lives as a support person of some people is good enough. Like that granny midwife who sits in the corner knitting and the baby's born and everything's good. She didn't have to pull out all of her tricks and skills and magic, but she was there. And just knowing she was there gave such comfort and ease to them that that's good enough. But and very often that's good enough. And it's funny in the beginning, you know, it was like, oh, I got to get my doula tool bag together. I got to have all this stuff. I got to do this. I got to take this training and this training and that training and da, 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 da. Yeah. And now it's like, you know, yeah. really yeah. just sitting there and having them look at you while you're calm is usually calming. Yeah. Like really when 90% of what you offer, right? When we look at when we look at TV and, and how people are sort of introduced into birth itself through Hollywood, it's always dramatic and crazy, and everybody's like, "Oh, bad things are happening," you know. And they're whispering in the corner and they're giving you know crazy looks. And the birthing parent is sitting in the bed going, "What's going on? What's going on?" But your presence, just being there, holding their hand, you know, maybe doing a little hip squeeze or you know, massaging of the hands that's all they need because what they're looking for is not that craziness they want that calm and safety there's safety in calmness yeah yes you know i was looking after a client of suzanne's um out in burlington here and she her waters had released and after 12 hours she decided decided to go to the hospital to be induced because the party wasn't starting and she was ready for this party to start so um, I drove over to meet them there and got in there and we were chit chatting and stuff like that when they came in to start her Pitocin and they did that and it was we're sitting there discussing it and she had she was reviewing a couple of the things she remembered from working with you Suzanne about you know relaxing to let things open and to listening to what position your body needed to be in and while we were talking about that um over the first half hour, 
the intensity obviously as Pitocin does starts ramping up. And at one point she closed her eyes and stopped talking. And so I got up and went around and I just put my hand on the back of one of her hips and she woke up she woke it's like she woke up because she was closed her eyes she was slowly breathing she opened her eyes and looked over my shoulder and she's like everything's gonna be okay I just needed your hand there but everything's gonna be okay and then she went back to breathing again because the next one came on and she had her baby 25 minutes later it was like one hour after Pitocin starting we'd gone to the bathroom like three times and on the third time she was like oh that burns (laughs) I was like okay so we're just going to go back to the bed now. That one touch changed her whole, yeah. Her sense of uncertainty that she hadn't directly expressed, I suspected it because we were reviewing positive things you had shared with her, Suzanne, that felt constructive to her labor. So it's like she was saying out loud the things she needed to acknowledge uh, that everything would be okay. And while her eyes were closed, yeah, I just walked over and put my hand on that like back hip of hers for some pressure. And yeah, when she opened her eyes, it was just, okay, now I know everything's going to be okay. It was like that one touch, just a hand, yep. not a rebozo, not a ball, not a tens unit, just the one hand told her everything was going to be okay. And, it's, um, and I know how, how hippie this sounds and, and trust me, I'm the least hippie doula that you're ever going to meet, but it's that flow of that energy, that, that supportive, calm, everything is going to be okay energy that that touch just instilled in her that's science that's not hippie that's science that is science (laughs) literally science it is right it's it's the it's the transference of that and and I think it took me I mean we're talking about evolution it took me a while to get to that point I certainly was not that way in the very beginning because I bought into the doula training that I had to do all this stuff and I had to, you know, use all these techniques. And I thought I have, yeah, and I, and I have them and they're in my back pocket. But the thing is, is don't you usually just pull them out when something isn't going quite right. But if we can keep things calm and relaxed and have that sense of, you know, everything is going to be okay then that's huge. And that can keep things going and you don't need all this other shit. Yeah. You learn so much. So that's what we're talking about is evolution and that transference of energy. I absolutely, a lot of my hippie ideas have proven to be just plain old science shit. It's not, it's not woo woo. It really is. So transference of energy is real. When you are in a room with somebody in that intimate moment, like birth is happening, labor is happening, you're absolutely going to transfer energy from one to- 100%. Yes. And I remember, do you know some births, you remember so many things about them. I think a a while ago, we talked about births that caught us off guard when we were doing things like birthday parties or whatever. I went to, I had to, I got called to, I went to a wedding and I knew that this birth was happening and I was prepared to leave the wedding. And so I left the wedding in like my fancy dress and heels and hair and makeup and all that and went to this home birth. It was a beautiful, amazing home birth. And what I remember about it, I think it was the day that the election when Barack Obama got elected. That's why I kind of remember it's like around that. And so there was all this, the baby was born and then there was celebration that Barack Obama had been elected. This, even though this woman was having her third baby, home birth, things were not moving as whoosh and as swiftly as she had anticipated that they were. 
And um, it was a beautiful night. They lived right by the lake. And I, she was lying on the couch and I was sitting on the floor beside her head on the couch. And she looked at me and she looked at me and we like locked eyes with each other. And I saw so much fear in her eyes. She was so, so I looked at her and I just, I gently put my hand on her face and I said, what are you afraid of? And she just collapsed and melted and got and spit out all the things that she was afraid of. All of the things that you're afraid of in labor. What if I, I feel like something's wrong and blah, 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 and all of that. And I just let her talk it through. And you know, that's that transference of energy. I was sitting there calm and I just calmly asked her, what are you afraid of? I didn't share her, jump into her fear and be no. like, God, yeah, I'm afraid of that too. No, I just let it happen. I didn't need the double hip squeeze. I didn't have a birth ball or a peanut ball or massage tools or anything. It was just me sitting with her and looking at her and picking up on something in her eyes mm -hmm. and then letting that come out. That's, that's, that's what huge that's what doulas do mm -hmm. doulas they're they see the things that other people don't see like they see like the partner's all like oh we gotta how are you doing can i get you this can i get you that and they want to help and they want to fix midwives and doctors they're all like the medical we've got to make sure that everybody is alive and healthy and blah 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 but the doula sees and the doula works within a different framework where they're just there absorbing everything. Oh my God, I just had an aha moment when you said that. Yeah. It's so true. Like Everybody you, has a focus. Yeah. We're the only ones who are focused inside that birthing person. Yeah. Because partners are too emotionally invested. That's right. In all of it. They, That's right. they are going to have a, they think that they are being giving and caring, which they are, but they're also so wrapped up emotionally. Doctors, nurses, midwives are clinical people. Yeah. They're looking at that vagina, that uterus. Nobody except us is looking at the inner world of that yeah. birthing person. Are yeah. they afraid? Are they anxious? Do they need answers? What do they need? And we're the only ones who minister to that. Yeah. Oh. That yeah. was a moment. I think when people have a midwife afterwards, I've heard a lot of them not complain, but be maybe disappointed that the midwife wasn't able to do that for them. And it's like, but they, they I mean, many midwives are very nurturing and are wanting to do that. But the yeah. fact is, is they have a, that makes it a two pronged job. Yes. We have a single to take care of you medically. Yep. That's right. And sometimes one will take more of their emotional energy, which means they would miss whatever cue you're giving off. But yeah, for us, although we generally do take the temperature of the room, our focus is how that temperature is impacting the person who's birthing, right? And we're the ones that dig into that and say, right, let's talk about that. Let's dig that out. What do you need? What's going on with you? Yeah. Not what's going on with your vagina, not what's going on with, you know, the monitor over here, not what's going on with your partner shaking in the corner over there. What is happening to you? And that's, yeah. and that's that. I'm going to shit the bed. There's something in my butt. Yeah. Great. Then you know what? We're going to have a baby. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm now translating that to that same birth that I was just talking about the midwives had arrived and so they were busy setting shit up 
in the bedroom, setting up their equipment, laying out all their stuff, which is their job. They have to do that. And the partner was busy helping them and dealing with their two other children who yep. were there. And so even in a birth where it's not their first baby, the partner is actually going to be so busy doing that other shit too. He's yeah. got to deal with the other kids. He's got to deal with, he, you know, partners often have to be the ones going up to the car, helping midwives carry all of their stuff inside. Um, and that's what he was doing. I was the only one who was with her. So if I wasn't there, she would have just been there on the couch, living with her, stewing in her own fear that yeah. whole time. And that birth would have shut down if that had, if that had continued any further and then potentially yeah. a transference to the hospital. Right. And I, did change I didn't keep on my beautiful dress I did change into like regular clothes but I sat there with my full face of makeup and I'm like fuck this is and I said this is the prettiest I've ever looked at a birth okay because <laughs> you know, who wears makeup to a birth yeah you know um, we talk about the uh again how important it is to bring the right energy to a birth and and how it can positively impact I had this absolutely wonderful birth I went to I actually I was at a birth of somebody who'd had three three hour labors and so at the first sign of her labor I'd left and I'd driven myself to Aurora and I was up in Aurora and this labor was taken forever for some reason there was it was a busy house it was during the day um the the mother-in-law was over and she wasn't supposed to be there and uh yeah it was just taking forever and then eventually we kind of kicked everybody out of her room because being a parent she just wanted the door to stay open she wanted the kids to be able to wander in and out even though she wasn't in a really strong established labor eventually we closed the door she took a dump came back and laid down and really she had her baby about an hour later just closing the door yeah just giving herself space for that and that was one birth but while she was literally getting grunty I got a message from my other client who had also birthed quite quickly the first time and she's like exactly my how's this going you know what's this gonna look like she's like but things just aren't really starting up I feel like I'm trying to get up out of a hole and it starts a little bit and then some are easier I'm like that's fine just leave it alone you know sleep that (laughs) that's right so she went on google and google was giving her all these ideas of what to do for this labor um, to get it into a good pattern and so someone had said watch something that makes you laugh yeah. it gives you a lot of humor so she called her her birth photographer who went over her partner put on the big bang theory um and friends and they were watching that but when I got to the house eventually the baby was born drove myself back to Pickering and I walked in the front door and like every light was on in the house yeah. both the dogs were running back and forth um the uh one kid was having a, the one kid was having a really hard time kind of settling. And so we were waiting for um, that mother-in-law to come pick up the, the little one. And I'm like, this is chaos. No wonder yeah, you no wonder labor isn't starting. <laughs> There's a, and she's like, I feel like something's wrong. I'm like, well, every light in the house is on. Um, your TV is very loud. And, um, you know, we, I think your, your toddler is definitely feeling that there's some stress that you're, that you're feeling stress and stuff. I think there's just a lot going on. Let's just simmer it down. Um, and so really all we did in the next, I'm going to say 40 minutes from the time I arrived there is shut off the, shut off the TV, turn down the lights, got her something to drink, 
um, she had been told not to get in her birth tub. It's like, don't do that until you're in active labor. You can stop labor. Well, if it's if it's labor that's coming, it's coming. It's not going to stop. The fuck told her that? I stuck her in her tub, turned off the lights, turned off the TV, put on her favorite music. And then I took the birth photographer and I said, we're leaving. We're not leaving the house. We're here, but we're going to just go upstairs. She had like a a sitting area just at the top of her stairs. I said, we're going to go sit down up there and let you guys listen to music and settle into this. You don't feel like a watched pot. And I'm going to tell you, the minute we left that space, left her with her partner, things changed. We started hearing her hum through her surges and stuff like that. And I'm going to say it wasn't even 20 minutes later, came back downstairs and her eyes were closed and she was humming and her husband was chanting. Um, He was doing some blessings and stuff in the space while this was happening. And then all of a sudden um, I heard the telltale noise. And I was like, okay, has anyone called the midwives? No, no one's called, okay, we're gonna call the midwife. Now, thankfully the midwife lived like 10 minutes down the street. Uh, We were in Pickering and she's in Ajax. And (laughs) I was like, we're just gonna call right now. Um, But, um, and trying to convince her her partner to stop blessing and to get into the tub. because I was like, I am not catching this baby. Um, (laughs) But yeah, so the partner did end up catching the baby and the midwife walked in the door just as the head was out. And this all happened within an hour. Yeah. Of just changing the energy in the house. Yeah. And um, I don't even necessarily think it was me arriving. It was that just all things were falling switch. into place. Yeah. You know, things were falling into place that everyone who you wanted there was going to be there. Things were right. And yeah, that baby came quite quickly after that. But it was a change of the energy in the room, whether it's your energy or what you bring atmosphere right yeah I had a hospital induction and when I walked into the room same thing tv was on they were watching law and order the sister was there the husband was there they're talking away blah 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 and I just looked at her looked at the client and she was like didn't look like she was in a really good place it wasn't really contracting but she just she didn't look the way she normally looked. So I said, uh, I turned to the partner and the sister and I go, have you guys eaten? I'm here now. Maybe you guys, you know, why don't you go get something to eat before, you know, things take off. There's a good idea. So they left. I turned off the TV. I turned down the lights. I sat there beside her in the bed. Did she have, I don't know. I don't, I can't remember if she had the epidural yet or not, but she was definitely in bed and did not get out. So I think she may have already gotten the epidural, but things were not moving. And then at that point, it was like, she closed her eyes, she laid back and she just kind of, you could almost see everything sort of leave any sort of stress and anxiety. You know that you've seen that look, right? Where everything just kind of leaves their body that's causing any kind of stress. And about an hour later, things had really picked up. The partner and the sister had come back. The sister eventually ended up leaving, but it was like, yeah, now we're in it. It was like, again, you just need to change that energy in the room. And of course, because we had dimmed the lights and everything at that point, the hospital staff weren't sort of barging in going, oh, no, 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 what's going on? When the lights are dimmed, they're going to come in like, more quietly, a little bit more calmly, right? So 
just making that change can make a huge difference, not just for the birthing parents, but for the staff as well, that now it's like, oh yeah, okay, yeah, this is what's happening, right? And you can see the pattern on the, on the, on the monitors that things had really picked up. And she was just, you know, I think maybe she had the baby about three or four hours later, like after having been induced for however long before that it's like oh god no we don't need we don't need all this food out here we don't need all these bright lights on we don't need the tv blaring i didn't even know that goddamn tv worked what are you people doing exactly yeah transference of energy and that is definitely something that i learned over time yeah i thought that it was me doing stuff like actually doing stuff the way that I rubbed a back the uh-huh. different amount of things that I offered etc cetera, etc cetera. now here's another thing though um because of COVID and everything is virtual a lot of and I gotta go very soon and a lot of uh partners they're anxious because if they think I'm not going to be there so how are they what can they do what can they do to help help uh support their you cannot say all of this to a partner because they're the partner. They're probably the father of this baby. And that all this business about transference of energy and looking into their eyes and finding the inner world of the birthing person and all that, they're not, they're not gonna get that because they're not doulas and they're not, they're inside of this intimate, it's their child being born. So I find what I've realized is a lot of partners when I'm talking to them. They do want to hear, well, this is what you can do. And going through that list, because A, number one, not to sound stereotypical, belonging to stereotype men, they like to know what to do. They, they like a list. To do, yes. A they list like practical things, things. You can use to fix things. So here you can rub her back in this way and this way and provide pressure in this way and this way. And don't forget heat and cold. And they're frantically taking notes. Yeah, 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 yeah then they feel good, they feel prepared, they feel calm, and they're better able to do that. So all of this stuff has its place, if not with you necessarily all the time, but in this new virtual world, a lot of partners are appreciating those lists of things. Well, make sure you take her to the bathroom every, I say, make a schedule, make sure like every hour and a half, you're asking about going to the bathroom, like do that, make sure you're feeding her. And they are writing, yeah, 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 yeah. And they love that. It's like just the same way a lot of them like to have their route to the hospital all mapped out, route A, and then an alternate route B, depending on traffic, they, and they feel safe doing that. Yep. So that's what, another thing that we can offer to partners of those practical tips, but that okay. emotional connection, energy stuff, I think is, they're going to have that anyways, depending on their relationship as a couple. Yeah. But I think that's specific to us. But doesn't it, it, with virtual stuff now, doesn't, isn't it almost like actually having to speak to someone now while they're in labor and not necessarily seeing so much, but hearing what they say and how they say it and, you know, and, 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 and that stuff, like it's now, it's now not just a matter of what you see, it's now a matter of what you hear from them. Right. Or reading between the lines of a text, right? Yeah. The work of a doula has changed so much in this past year of of how we support and what we do. That's a huge evolution. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. I gotta go because I gotta drive downtown. 
going to the birth center to drop something off and um i gotta get out of here soon i'm going to pick a kid up from school all right well i mean it's been almost two hours so we should get out of here people this was a good this was a very good episode i think we got a lot of good meaty real doula stuff they need to hang in there through our our blithering and blathering about dog periods and stuff they need to hang and be persistent be loyal keep listening we have something good to say <laughs> even though that this whole thing is at the end of what we just said <laughs> we that's okay. in. i'm saying like in our promos and stuff that's what i'm gonna write i'm gonna there say go. just hang on don't give up on us we do yep. say something worthwhile <laughs> eventually yeah. after our doula social we get down to the meat of it there you go <laughs> and again if you're not used to it by now what are you even doing yeah why, why are you here yeah. all right remember okay, rate well, review and subscribe wear a mask email us if you have stories or what your evolution was like and yeah have a great day okay. we'll talk to you. bye everybody bye bye, bye.